following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. So glad to see you guys here in the room and know there's a bunch of you that are joining us online and even some of you up there in the balcony. We see you this morning. So, so glad that you are here. If you have a Bible or you have it on your device, grab it and let's go to Colossians chapter one, the book of Colossians, the first chapter. Last week, I suggested to you that I believe that we are in a defining moment in the life of our church. For the last five years, we've been talking about next up, next up, next up. This work to do the, the, the needed work within our building to renovate space for our next generation, for our children and our youth. And we find ourselves now here at the cusp of being finished with next up. We also have lived over the last year and a half through this global pandemic. All that that has meant for the church around the world. All that that has meant. All the challenges that that, that, that has um, presented to us as a church. And yet, I believe right now, we are living through a defining moment. As we're saying to God, God, what do you have for us now? Last week, we talked about the idea that it's time for us to dream big, to to dream big dreams and to pray bold prayers, that God would continue to grow our impact, expand our influence as a church. It's time for us to dream big. But this week, I want to talk about the idea that it's time for us to go deep. If we're going to see a, a growing impact and expanding influence, I believe that's going to come as we go deep. As I began the series last week, I shared with you a defining moment in my own life, um, and I want to do that again today. A defining moment that for me took place in January of 1996. I know that it was January of 1996 because I have that written in the front of this book. This uh, is my well-worn copy of the book Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. I first read this book in January of 1996. It was the very first book that I ever read on the topic of spiritual formation, And I had no idea at the time that I would later go on to become a professor and my primary teaching responsibility would be in the area of spiritual formation. And yet this book started me on that journey. And I have very clear, vivid recollection of opening this book for the first time and reading the opening sentences. Foster opens his book this way. He says, superficiality is the curse of our age. The doctrine of instant satisfaction is a primary spiritual problem. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. Now, at that point in my life, I had done reasonably well in school, enough to to feel as though I was relatively intelligent. I'd done enough ministry to be affirmed that, that I had gifts. But what I recognized in that moment, reading that that book, those opening sentences, is that the world really didn't need more of what I already had. The world needs something that I didn't have but longed for. A sense of depth in my life. The desperate need of the world today is not for more intelligent people or gifted people but deep people. People who go deep in their discipleship to Jesus. 
And for us to see the kind of growing impact and expanding influence that I desire for our church to have, I believe that will come as we as a church and as we as individuals go deep. You know, there can be a tendency in large churches to be a mile wide and an inch deep. And it's not just true of our churches, right? It's true of our own lives. That we can wind up living such busy, frenetic, distracted lives. Earlier we prayed, agitated and apathetic, busy and bored. We can live lives that are very full and yet very shallow. And I believe there's a deep longing in in each and every one of us for a life that is deep. A life that is rich, a life that is full. And so, friends, now is the time. For us as a church and for us as individual followers of Jesus to go deep. And when I thought about this idea of going deep, I thought about Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. The church in Colossae was this small church and they were struggling with some, uh, some false teaching that had begun to infiltrate the church. And it seems as though the, the kind of the primary problem that was presenting itself to the church in Colossae is that they were just kind of getting bored with Jesus. Like they hadn't rejected Jesus They hadn't abandoned the faith. They just were looking for something more. They wanted to be deep. But they thought that they would find that depth somewhere outside of Jesus or in addition to Jesus. And Paul writes this letter to say, Jesus is all you need. There really are two things that Paul writes this entire letter to underscore. The supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. In fact, I want us to rehearse that together, to say that together. So there's two things that that Paul wrote the letter of Colossians to underscore. The supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. Let's try that again. Two things that Paul wrote the letter to underscore. The supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. That Jesus is our highest good. Our greatest need. That he is supreme over everything else. The supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. Jesus is enough. You don't need Jesus and anything else. And that seems to be what was happening. Is that these false teachers were coming to the church and suggesting Jesus and. The idea that you could sort of grow beyond Jesus. And Paul is writing to say you don't grow beyond Jesus. You grow in Jesus. Their problem was that Jesus was prominent in their life, but he wasn't preeminent in their lives. And so Paul is writing, challenging these believers to go deeper by embracing and surrendering to the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus. That when we see this letter, that what we find is that Paul is writing to say, you don't outgrow Jesus, you grow in Jesus. You don't need more than Jesus. You need more of Jesus. You don't need Christ to be prominent in your life. You need him to be preeminent in your life. And what we find here then in these verses is a prayer that Paul prays to that end. A prayer that he prays for the church at Colossae. It's kind of interesting to me to read what what did Paul pray for these followers of Jesus. He opens with words of thanksgiving and he and acknowledges the fact that he's not the one that planted this church. He's not the one that brought the gospel to Colossae. It was a, a local boy, Epaphras, that brought the message to them. And then he says in verse nine, for this reason, 
Since the day that we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruits in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in his inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I believe this prayer that Paul prays is a prayer for them to be a deep church. And here we find something of an outline of what it means to be a deep church, what it means for us to go deeper in our discipleship to Jesus. And notice the first thing that that, that Paul prays for. He prays that they would be filled. And it's interesting to note this language of filling because it shows up throughout the remainder of the book. And it seems as though this is uh, in contrast to what these false teachers are actually offering. These false teachers have come into the church in Colossae and they're offering this this thing in addition to Jesus that's really going to fill your life. Like Jesus is great, but you need Jesus plus to fill your life. And it got me thinking, what would that Jesus plus be for us? What do we fill our lives with? That sometimes we elevate right alongside the status of Jesus and the process might wind up diminishing the allegiance of our hearts and the status of Jesus in our lives. I thought about Jesus plus politics, right? That for some of us, there's a tendency to elevate our political allegiance right alongside our allegiance to Jesus. And it's not that politics is a bad thing and our participation in it is a bad thing, not in any way, but it it can become, it can take an inordinate place in our hearts and our minds. We can wind up talking more about politics than talking about Jesus. I thought about Jesus and self-help, Jesus and self-improvement, that we can sometimes really be on about making ourselves a better version of ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with personal growth, personal development, spiritual growth and development. Um, I'm a big fan of the Enneagram. We've talked about that. We've been using the Enneagram as a tool for us, as a personality kind of assessment uh, with our staff. And, and I can be that guy at a dinner party that just sort of goes on talking about the Enneagram. I'm an Enneagram nine, if that means anything to you. And, and, and yet the fact of the matter is I know people who like, they are so into the Enneagram that it's like Jesus and the Enneagram. And if you talk more about the Enneagram than you talk about Jesus, you might have a problem. Jesus and my job, Jesus and my family. And it's not that my job or my family are bad things, not in any way. It's that sometimes we elevate those things in our hearts and minds alongside the status of Jesus. We wind up diminishing the status of Jesus in the process. What does that Jesus plus look like for us? What are we filling ourselves with? It's interesting to note that uh, the average U.S. adult spends three hours and 43 minutes a day on their mobile device. What are we filling ourselves with? If our lives feel like they're filled with, with chaos, with anxiety, maybe it's time for us to examine what are we filling ourselves with? But Paul prays for them that they might be filled 
And filled with what? Filled with, look what he says. The knowledge of his will, that is God's will, through all wisdom, understanding that the spirit gives. Right? He prays that they would be filled with knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. We, we can read that sentence pretty quick and it just sounds like some sort of Bible words kind of all stacked up together. But if we slow down and think about it, there's actually something really meaningful that Paul's saying here. Knowledge, that's about truth, to, to know the truth. But knowledge plus understanding, that is our ability to, to, to comprehend that truth. And then finally, wisdom, which is the idea of applying that truth for our lives, living that truth out in our everyday lives. I was thinking about this and thinking about uh, last year when we were still in that doing school from home phase and uh, working with my son Pearson on 10th grade math. I think it was algebra two. And, um, and so they would send us these videos and we were supposed to watch the videos and then do the assignments that went along with the videos. And he's like, dad, I'm so confused. Can you help me? So I sat down and watched the video with him and I watched the video with him and I sent him out of the room. Like I'm going to need a little more time with this video to figure out what's going on. So you might as well go do something else. I had no idea, right? Truth was being declared, but there was no understanding, right? There was no comprehension. I think I had to watch that video like seven times before I figured out what was going on. So I could try to explain it to him, Right? Knowledge, that is truth, plus understanding, plus wisdom, applying it to our lives. Now, when it comes to 10th grade math, what does this actually have to do with our everyday lives? And we all know the answer, nothing, right? Absolutely nothing. Don't don't send me emails. I know some of you think there's somebody somewhere that's applying 10th grade algebra two to their lives every day, but most of us, let's be honest, right? Knowledge plus understanding plus wisdom, applying the truth to our lives, not just about 10th grade math, but about God. Knowing the truth about God. Understanding that truth in ways that transform us from the inside out. And then applying that truth to our lives in everyday wisdom. That's what Paul is praying for, for these Colossian believers, that they would be a deep church characterized by knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. For what purpose? Well, that's what he answers next. So that, and if you've been around my Bible teaching for very long, you know, I always tell you, pay attention when you see those two little words, right? Circle, underline, so that, because this is the point, the payoff, right? So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Literally, Paul says that you might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, that, that, that you be filled with knowledge, understanding, and wisdom so that you live in such a way that the grace, the compassion, the character of Jesus would be on display in your lives, that you would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And then Paul goes on to tell us what that looks like. And I think in doing so actually gives us a powerful description of what a deep life looks like. You see it in the four verbs that Paul uses. Just as you scan down through these verses, uh, you see uh, the first one, bearing. The second one, growing. The third, being. And the fourth, giving. These ing words, these four words that begin a phrase that really capture what a deep life looks like. And the first one is this. Deep people bear fruit. Deep people bear fruit. Look look what Paul says. He says, bearing fruit in every good work. 
Right? Deep people, their lives bear spiritual fruit. So I wonder, what kind of fruit is your life bearing? Yesterday, I had the, uh, the unfortunate um, but uh, a, a wonderful privilege of conducting my first funeral for someone who died of COVID. A member of our congregation, Homer Glasscock, beloved member of our Thrive community. And so uh, we gathered here for a celebration of life uh, folks that filled this room and, um, and, and one after another after another came and stood on this platform and, and told stories about Homer and his impact on their lives. And so many of them were just t- telling stories about the ways in which Homer just gave of himself and, and served other people and, and met people's needs. And, and one of the things that was like a recurring theme was the number of people that Homer had helped repair something. Apparently Homer could fix anything. And so Homer would show up to fix people's cars, fix things around the house. And somebody that was standing up here asked for a show of hands of the number of people in the audience who Homer had helped repair something. And I'm telling you, it was like 85, 90% of the people in the room, Homer had helped repair something. Here was a guy who just showed up, who met people's needs, who gave of himself for the glory of God and the good of other people. And he had a fruitful life. And I wonder what kind of fruit is your life bearing? It seems to me the only way we see spiritual fruit in our lives is planting seeds. So what kind of seeds are you planting? How are you showing up for other people? How are you giving yourself away for the glory of God and the good of others? You see, friends, the reason that I believe that we will experience the kind of growing impact and expanding influence that, that we're praying that we would see here as a church is as we go deep, that our lives and therefore our church would bear much fruit. Deep people bear fruit. Look at the second one. Look what Paul says, the next uh, verbal clause there. Growing in the knowledge of God. Growing in the knowledge of God. Deep people know God. They're constantly pursuing, growing in their knowledge of God. And I wonder for us, are we constantly pursuing, growing in our knowledge of God? And I've got to tell you, as a pastor, one of the things that I can be concerned about when I look out across the religious landscape of America, one of the things that concerns me is the tendency, I think, to what Paul talks about as zeal without knowledge. Paul in Romans chapter 10, writing about the, the, the Jewish people of his day that he longed to see embrace Christ as Messiah. He says about them in 10 verse two, he says, for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. And I think we can wind up perpetuating the very same tendency to, to be zealous for God, to be, to be passionate, but to have zeal without a corresponding deep knowledge of God, deep knowledge of the word of God, deep knowledge of the things of God. Dorothy Sayers was a friend of C.S. Lewis writing a couple of generations ago, and she captures this idea of zeal without knowledge powerfully. She, she talks about when Jesus spoke to the woman at the well, she says this, she says, Christ in his divine innocence said to the woman of Samaria, ye worship, ye know not what, being apparently under the impression that it might be desirable on the whole to know what one was worshiping. 
He thus showed himself sadly out of touch with the 20th and we would say 21st century mind. For the cry today is away with the tedious complexities of dogma. Let us have the simple spirit of worship. Just worship, no matter of what. The only drawback to this demand for a generalized and undirected worship is the practical difficulty of arousing any sort of enthusiasm for the worship of nothing in particular. Zeal without knowledge. And deep people are constantly pursuing the knowledge of God. If we're going to be deep people, that means immersing ourselves in the scripture. Knowing this book deeply. And the reality is we have never had greater access. In all of history, we have never had greater access to the Bible. And less engagement with the Bible. We carry around these devices that that have hundreds, if not thousands, of translations of the scripture on them. Our problem isn't access. Our problem is engagement, immersion in the word of God. I'll never forget a number of years ago when I was still a student at Dallas Seminary, I had the opportunity to travel with our beloved professor, Howard Hendricks. If you don't know the name Howard Hendricks, he was a legend around Dallas Seminary. One of the most powerful and effective Bible communicators that I've ever heard in my life. An amazing man of God. And I got the opportunity to travel with him. He was aging at that point, And so his family didn't want him going and speaking anywhere without somebody who was with him all the time. And so I was the guy that, that got to travel with Prof. Hendricks. And I'll forget, never forget the first time that I did. We, we went to the conference that Friday night, went back to the hotel, went to bed. And the next morning I was awakened hearing some rustling in the room. And I turned over to see Prof. Hendricks sitting there at the desk with his Bible open. Now, Prof. at this point was in his early 80s. He had at that point forgotten more Bible than I had ever learned. And yet here he was constantly pursuing, growing in knowledge of God by immersing himself in the scriptures. Deep people know God. Look at the third thing that, that Paul talks about here. This third characteristic of deep people. Look at that next little phrase. He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great Endurance and patience. Deep people bear fruit. Deep people know God. Third, deep people endure well. Think about it. Think about the people in your life that you would characterize as deep people. Maybe the deepest person you know. Typically, deep people are people who have lived through some stuff. Am I right? Right? People who have dealt with the kind of challenges and adversity and, and heartaches that this life has to offer. I was thinking about this and, and thinking about our congregation, thinking about some of our seasoned saints who have faced the adversity, the, the challenges, the heartache of this life and who've endured well. People like Bonnie Kelly, people like Bob Downey, people like Betty Slackney. Betty Elwell, people like Donna Jones, the last of which, if you don't know, is the one I get the privilege of calling mom. All right, these are some of the people that are part of our congregation, members of our congregation who have lived full and faithful lives, and they have experienced 
the, the challenges, the adversity, the, the heartache that this world has to offer. And they have endured well and serve as models for the rest of us as to how to endure well. Because deep people endure well. They have inner resources to deal with all that life throws at them in ways that cause people around them to, to pay attention, to recognize you've got something that enables you to, to endure. And I pray that we would be deep people who endure well all that comes our way and that the world around us would take notice. And I'm thankful for living models in our midst. Deep people bear fruit. Deep people know God. Deep people endure well. And then look at this last phrase with me. Verse 12, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Deep people give thanks. Deep people recognize that nothing that they are and nothing that they have comes from them. That all that they are and all that they have comes to them as a gift of grace, a gift from God, and therefore their lives are filled with gratitude. Deep people give thanks. You know, it's, it's interesting to note that, that gratitude is not merely an attitude, right? It's not merely a disposition of the mind and the heart. That gratitude is actually a practice, a discipline to recognize that everything that I am and everything that I have comes to me as a gift. And therefore, I'm going to practice expressing my gratitude to God. And there is an intimate connection between gratitude and contentment. If we're going to learn to live contented lives, we have to practice the discipline of gratitude. There's an intimate connection between joy and gratitude. The height of our joy is directly proportional to the depth of our gratitude. Deep people give thanks. And friends, I believe that God is calling us as a church to dream big dreams in these days. Big dreams about lives transformed, about our city improved, about the world impacted. But I believe that the way that we will see growing impact and expanding influence is as we go deep. I've been praying and processing with our elders and our pastors about what this looks like for us as a church. And we've got some things that we've mapped out for next year, for 2022, because we've determined that for 2022, our focus is going to be going deep as a congregation. Yes, we want to see a growing impact. Yes, we want to see expanding influence. But the way that we will see it is as we go deeper in our discipleship to Jesus. And so three ways that's going to work out in 2022. A year of sermons immersing us in the biblical story. A year of daily readings through the entire New Testament and a year of ministry initiatives designed to take us deeper in discipleship to Jesus by taking us deeper into scripture. Let me tell you what those mean. First, a year of sermons immersing us in the biblical story. That I went away a few weeks ago and mapped out all 52 weeks of 2022, the sermons that we'll have here on Sunday mornings. And, and rather than just looking at each of those series as kind of independent, what we're doing is we're planning each of those series to fit together into one large whole that's going to take us deeper into an understanding of and being transformed by this big story of the Bible. A year of sermons immersing us deeper in the biblical story. Second, a year of daily readings through the New Testament. Did you know that if you read the New Testament, a chapter a day for the five days, uh, the five weekdays, that if you read five weekdays for 52 weeks, 
You'll read the entire New Testament from start to finish. It works out, the math works out perfectly. And so we're going to start the beginning of January, Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to get to the end of December, Revelation 22. And we're going to challenge everybody that calls IBC home to, to read the scriptures together. And won't it be cool to show up to events at church and, and like we, we read the same page literally of the Bible together this morning. We could talk about it. We're going to read through together our IBC daily on Facebook live or on your podcast feed. We're going to be walking through those chapters, a chapter a day for the five uh, weekdays and covering the entire New Testament in the year next year. And third, a year of ministry initiatives, some things that we're um, praying about and planning for all of our ministries and, and even some new things that we would launch next year to take us deeper into our understanding and transformation through scripture, through the word of God. But that's all next year. I want to talk to you about right now because I think God has an invitation for you right now. It's an invitation into a deeper life of discipleship to Jesus. That we go deeper in our discipleship to Jesus as we embrace and surrender to his supremacy and sufficiency. That he is the highest and the greatest and that he is enough for us. And his invitation to you today is to dedicate yourself to going deeper, to going deeper, to have a life that bears fruit, to go deeper by constantly pursuing, growing in the knowledge of God, to go deeper as we, uh, as we give ourselves away for the glory of God and the good of other people. His invitation to you today is to go deeper in your discipleship to Jesus. And so Christ, who is supreme and sufficient, first question, do you know him? I wonder if there are some maybe who are here this morning or who are watching online who have never come to that place, that they've come to, to know Jesus as their savior, to trust in him and him alone, to forgive them of their sins and to give them the hope of eternal life. You can know him today. Do you know him? Second, if you know him, are you growing in your knowledge of him? Are you continually pursuing growing in the knowledge of God? Because friends, it's time for us as a church. It's time for us as individual followers of Jesus to go deep. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.